Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Amen. If you've got your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 6. My whole thought on this series was just kind of slow down, take a deeper dive into some of these stories and some of these scenes, these moments, the teachings of Jesus, that we might discover a little bit more about him. And as we learn more about Jesus, that we might grow deeper in love with him and deeper in our relationship with him. And I'll be honest with you, early on, first couple of Sundays, we were kind of get some history and who is Mark the author and who is his source for his information and who are the disciples, if you're here for that one, we walk through all 12 disciples. Matt said that sermon went like three hours long, it really, it really didn't. Now we're just kind of in the thread of the daily work, the daily ministry, the daily mission of Jesus and just taking upon event upon event, conversation upon conversation. Today we're gonna go to the beginning of Mark chapter six and it's actually a pretty big moment. It would actually have ripple effects throughout history because, history because there are people who don't even know who Jesus is. There are people who've never read the Bible, they don't know what red letters mean, that have felt and even heard the impact of this story that we're going to unpack today in Mark chapter six because the words of Jesus that were spoken have kind of turned into a proverb. Now, proverb is not just a book in the Bible. A proverb, by definition, it's a short saying in general use. It's stating a general truth, but really a Proverbs is just good advice. So that's what the book of Proverbs is in the Bible. It's a collection of these sayings. It's a collection of just good wisdom and and advice. Out of this story today, there has been a proverb that's developed that even the secular world might reference and, 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 and use. It's just kind of a general truth. So let's turn Mark chapter six, verse one. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So he was born in Bethlehem, but Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. Jesus grew up there, verse two. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed, period. So this story feels like it starts with a good beginning, that they were amazed. They ask, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to do such miracles, verse three? Then they scoffed. So something switched, something changed from verse two to verse three, then they scoffed. He's a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. His sisters live right here among us. They were deeply, not just offended, but deeply offended and refused to even believe in him. Then Jesus told them, this is where this proverb comes in, that a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and among his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Now, if you've been with us through the study of Mark, it's not the first time we've seen this passage. Several weeks ago, we, we visited here because it lists Jesus' siblings in this story. It lists James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, which to add things confusing, most of those are also the names of disciples, but they're two groups of people. Like Jesus' siblings really didn't believe he was the Messiah till after his death, burial, and resurrection. It mentions his sisters, plural. So there's more than one. There's not one sister, there's an S on the end of that. So they are unnamed, but there's at least two or more. But the big idea, the big takeaway from the big top part of Mark chapter six 
is this proverb, this social idea that a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown. Maybe you've heard it put that way. Maybe you've heard it said or worded in other ways, like familiarity breeds contempt. It's the same concept. It's the same idea, meaning the more familiar I am with you, the more I know about you, the more I've seen your faults and and your failures and your shortcomings, the more I lose value for you, the more I lose appreciation for you. The more I know about you, the less I appreciate you. And we see this many times play out in dating relationships or even in marriage. You start dating and that person can do no wrong. Mm. Man, you just wanna be with them all the time. You just wanna spend the night, just, you don't got nothing to talk about, just breathe on the phone. You still there? I woke up one night, I lived in Baton Rouge, Jerry's still up here, I woke up one night to, like she got tired of hearing me snore and she just hung up on a brother. You know, they can do no wrong. Everything they do is so cute. And then you get, real, you get married and you start to realize that maybe their mama didn't really finish raising them. Maybe daddy spoiled them a little bit too much. Because things that used to not bother you or things that used to you found cute, now they do that and you roll your eyes. Oh, you know, now you just, it irritates the fire out of you. But man, when you first so much in love, it's okay. But then you get to know them, right? You become familiar with them and that turns into I value you less. The the word is content. Cambridge Dictionary words the description this way. If you know someone very well, you stop respecting them because you've seen all of their bad qualities. It's easier to be impressed with strangers. It's easier to be impressed with somebody I don't know. It's easier to do that than it is to see the potential of those that are closest to us. You see this in... You see an attractive person. And you don't know anything about them just other than they're good looking. And on the surface level, oh, they seem so fun and I'm just impressed with them and oh, what it would be like to be married to them? What it would be like to date them? Oh, bruh, you know they're crazy. You know they a lot. I mean, they're not the good crazy either. They did not save the drama for her mama. Matter of fact, she's all up in the drama and her mama's adding to the drama. She expensive too. Can't afford that. Don't even get me started on how picky she might be. You don't know their faults. You don't know their failures. You don't know their weaknesses. So it's easy to be impressed. And then I get to know you. I become familiar with you. And I lose respect, I lose appreciation for you. Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth. They knew him when. Boy, those those are words that make me cringe. I knew you when, help me, Jesus. One of my best friends from middle school and then the first half of high school, his name was Brandon. Then he was a junior, he transferred to a different school. So we somewhat lost touch a little bit. And so 15 years or so later through the miracle of Facebook, I found him. And messaged him like, man, I'd love to connect up. And we shared cell phones and we'll text each other every once in a while. Man, I'd love to just connect up. So we go grab dinner and like he had lost connect with me too. And I didn't know what he was doing for a career. And he's like, man, are you, like, are you still doing that whole radio thing? No. <laughs> Actually, I'm a pastor. 
And it was at that point he needed the Heimlich maneuver, right? Because he's about to choke out on his food. Like, wait, <coughs> literally did not see that coming. That's what he said to me, right? See, my, my friend Brandon, he was there when I was um, building my testimony, right? That's what I refer to as the dark ages of my life. People who knew us way back when, right? And that way back when's the memory we'd like to forget about. Now, let me be clear. Jesus wasn't, didn't have a, he wasn't building his testimony, right? He was just a boy in Nazareth. He, he personally didn't have a, an ornery or bad reputation to overcome. They just knew him. They were familiar with him. They grew up with him. He was common to them. And I'll be honest with you, this, this proverb, this principle, as I was kind of thinking about this, this familiarity breeds contempt. This prophet has no honor in his own hometown. I think one of the reasons that's true is this idea of jealousy. Oh, I get it. You big man now. Yeah, you draw crowds, you heal people. Listen, bro, I knew you when you was in diapers, right? I knew you when you fell and skinned your knee and you went crying to your mama. Where's your healing power then? Here's the deal. They put in the work, I didn't. They made progress, I made excuses. They, they got to work and I got a little comfortable, I got lazy. They made the sacrifice and I made selfish choices. So it worked for them and their success is a reminder that I settled. And so jealousy starts to creep in when, when someone has success and we go, well, hey man, I know you a big deal now, but I knew you when. I think Jesus is experiencing some of that. I, I don't know about you, but I have fond memories of the places grew up. I'm sure in this moment, it's quite possible Jesus was excited to go back to Nazareth and, and just see some people I hadn't seen in a while. The old lady that, that suffered with chronic arthritis, man, he wanted to set her free. He wanted to heal her. Margaret, the lady that lived down on the corner, she always had migraines. Man, Jesus just wouldn't, couldn't wait to hug her, but also to heal her, or, or Leroy. And he was always so kind to us kids in the neighborhood. I just remember he had that limp. And man, Jesus wanted to go back and, and do good for those people and heal him and make it better. There's kind of this fondness when we go back home. Listen, kids, when I was a boy, that was all pasture. There wasn't a Dollar General store there. You know? Right there, that was the that was a Talala Burger Hut. I'd go on Friday after school and eat a hamburger and then go to the football games, right? We have this fond memory of, of going back and the people that helped us mature and educate us and mold us and shape us. And some people never want to leave that. And then there's some people that want to leave and never look back. Jesus was going home. I think he was excited about it. But in the end... I think it grieved him. This big idea of the proverb that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, that familiarity breeds contempt. That's the big theme of this story. But there's another spiritual principle. There's some other things at play here that I just couldn't get past. They're tucked away in the story. I wanna untuck them. I wanna kinda dig into this. The people of Nazareth clearly missed something. They missed it. They missed who Jesus was. They missed what Jesus was trying to do. They didn't get it. And I don't want to miss Jesus. If he showed up in Sand Springs, if he showed up in Hill Spring, if he showed up in your home, 
Would you see Jesus for who he is? If there was a move of God, would we recognize and know that it's him? Or is there something obstructing our view? Because what we're gonna see, there is something obstructing their view in the town of Nazareth. We're gonna see that word in the language as we unpack this. So I'm gonna call them four spirits. I don't know, I don't, I don't know if there's spiritual warfare, demonic attachment, I don't know. Maybe it should say there's four attitudes, but it's gonna feel like there's a spiritual thing that's going on here. And the title of this message is called A Place of Grace. I don't know about you, but I wanna live in a place of grace. Man, where we love each other, we accept each other. And listen, here's the deal. You can have accountability and grace at the same time. You can. And I, I, Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, was you're gonna discover today it was not a place of grace. Just with a quick reading over this, it doesn't jump out. You gotta dig into culture. You gotta dig into the original language to really see what's going on. Arrogance will always work against grace every time. And I want for you and I, I want for our community, I want for our church, I want for your home to be a place of grace. Can I get an amen? All right, let's look at Mark chapter six, verse two. It says, the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. So it starts good, right? They ask, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? If you just read that, it feels like every other crowd that Jesus encounters, they're, oh, wow, oh, that's awesome. I mean, at it, it first reading, it sounds like it starts really well, amazed. That has such a positive tone. So with permission today, actually, I don't need your permission, I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna unpack three different Greek words because you have to go back to the original language to see some of what's going on here. So this gets translated amazed, it gets translated other different ways, astonished. The Greek word there is ekplaiso. You will not be tested on this, right? I can't even spell English, let alone Greek. Ekplaiso, it means amazed. It also gets translated astonished, but the one that I like is struck with shock. Now, this could mean, that's awesome. How did he do that? Oh my gosh, I'm so amazed. Or it could be, dude, how did he do that? Like, I know him. I ain't ever seen him do that. He didn't do that when he was 12. I know his kid brothers. They're on, I know the home he grew up in. I'm surprised he's able to do anything. They were struck with shock, but it wasn't necessarily, that's awesome shock. It was, they were like, wait, what? The tone of this moment, it, it could begin positive, but that's not the context of what's going on because verse three says, then they scoffed. So this amaze was like, dude, I don't, how's he, I, I know him. And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary. Pay attention to that. He's the son of Mary. The brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended. They were deep, not just offended, deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So these four attitudes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call them spirits, these four spirits that blocked their ability to see Jesus among them. The first one was they had a religious spirit. They had a very religious attitude. Let me tell you why they were struck with shock. It's because they watched Jesus grow up. 
Jesus did not go to Bible school. Jesus did not go off to seminary. Jesus did not go to the school where you're trained to be a rabbi. Jesus wasn't even born into the right family to be a rabbi. Some people would say, he doesn't even have the right social standing to be standing up there talking to me. He's not been trained for that. He doesn't have any initials behind his name. He's not Dr. Jesus, so therefore he can't teach me anything. Look at the family he came from. He's a carpenter. He helped build my mom and dad's house. And now he wants to sit up there. And now he wants to teach me about God. I can't even. Like there's a spiritual arrogance in their tone. Who are you to teach me? Now, this is hard. Because there is some truth that we need to be very careful to the theology and the teaching that, that we listen to. Because it is true, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people that will take advantage of the gospel, preach it in a wrong context. There are people that will teach wrong theology. We are called to what we call rightly divide the word of God. Study it, know it, make sure that you're teaching on a solid foundation. So it is true, I need to be careful who I sit under. Theology, doctrine, the study of God and his word are very important. Can I get an amen? That's why we are on week 12 of walking through the Gospel of Mark, because it's very important. We slow down and we break it down. But spiritual arrogance will cause you to miss a move of God. I get it. There is a thin balance. There's a thin balance. There's, there's one side that says zeal without knowledge is not good. And they act hastily and they go too fast. But then the other side that, well, knowledge puffs up. So which is it? <laughs> like, well, no, buddy, you need some training. But if you get too much training, you're gonna be puffed up with pride. I mean, there's a thin balance to walk there. I still deal with both attitudes. Come on, man, let's just go. I love you. You love me. We love Jesus. Let's just go make a difference. Well, hold your own just a little bit because there's gotta be a biblical foundation to what we do Otherwise, some of these people we reach might bring in, they might be deceived by some false teaching. So we've got to have some knowledge to build on. But if we build too much knowledge, we're going to walk around going, well, who are you to teach me anything? I listen to Matt Chandler and Phil Driscoll. Knowledge puffs up. And so there is this thin balance, right? It is important to study to show yourself approved. But in the same token, this religious spirit, the same spirit that the Pharisees and the religious elites that confronted Jesus, they are alive and well today on Facebook and YouTube and the Googles. Just go look. Part of what was obstructing them was their spiritual, or their religious spirit, their spiritual arrogance. I know more than you do. He can't teach me anything, he's just a carpenter. Verse three, then they scoffed. Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary. So they had a religious spirit. Secondly, they had a critical spirit or they had a critical attitude. Everybody okay? Like elbow your neighbor, make sure they're all right. It's quiet up in this Baptist church. Y'all want me to just let you go so you can go to Mazios? Thank you. Appreciate that, mom. No, I'm just kidding, no, I'm just so the, the critical attitude, it's interesting as you unpack this story and what's going on. Do you remember, now Mark doesn't tell the Christmas story, but Matthew and Luke do. They give their own details of it about the, 
the betrothal of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus and how that came about. And so betrothal or Mary and Joseph are engaged, right? And then the spirit of God came upon Mary and, and she supernaturally became pregnant. So Jesus was the offspring of Mary, but the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God was his father, right? And so Joseph didn't really believe her. He was gonna put her away, not put her down, not a doll, not a pet, right? He was going to put her away. He was going to end the relationship, but he was going to do it quietly in case she wasn't lying to him. And then an angel appeared to Joseph and he confirmed Mary's crazy story. Jesus really was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus really is the offspring of God, okay? So to the people of Nazareth, Jesus grew up in the home of Joseph and Mary. Now, I don't know about your hometown, but my hometown had and still has a rumor mill. I, I know the West Side rumor mill is not real. No, 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 it's real. Don't strike me dead, Lord. <laughs> it's very real, right? And you know there were whispers about Mary. Just do the math. What day was Jesus born? Mm-hmm. What day did they get married? Mm-hmm. Just do the math. In Mark 6, when they reference Jesus, real sly, he's the son of Mary. It's true, it's just an unusual way to reference somebody. Because a couple of weeks ago in Mark chapter 3, when we're listing the 12 disciples, verse 17, James and John, son of Zebedee. Zebedee's a man, their father. Verse 18, James, the son of Alphaeus. Alphaeus is his father. In this culture, in Jewish culture, when you were identified, you were identified by your father. Just like today, when you have a baby, the child takes the father's last name. Same principle. So this sly little statement, he's the son of Mary, it's a very disrespectful statement. And they're questioning Mary's virtue. I mean, I know Joseph was around, but I don't think Jesus is his. Do the math. Now, yes, to you and I, theologically, yes. The Spirit of God was Jesus' biological father, but in Nazareth, Jesus grew up in the home of Mary and Joseph. To the town, Joseph was his father. So the critical spirit, it chose to believe gossip over believing the gospel. Say it again slower. The critical spirit chose to believe gossip over believing the gospel. Unless you dig into that, unless you know the cultural practices about naming the Father, you miss what they're saying. But they are being critical of Jesus, they're being critical of his mother, and their critical spirit caused them to miss seeing Jesus for who he was. Man, a critical spirit will get you. It, it just, it'll rob you of life and joy and, and it'll, it'll just get you. Critical spirits demand justice for you but they also request grace for themselves. <laughs> you didn't get me anything for my birthday? That's interesting. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I meant to get you something from your birthday, but we have been so busy. You understand. Here, I'll just buy your lunch. Can that be your birthday present? Let me just buy you lunch. Right? I judge you because of what you did or didn't do and how you let me down, but when I fall short, listen, I meant to. 
Like I judge you based on your actions. I judge myself based on my intentions. Nazareth was not a place of grace. It was the home of a religious spirit and it was the home of a critical spirit. Number three, it was the home of a skeptical spirit. Skepticism, I'm just a realist. I just gotta be me. You, you can put all kinds of shapes, sizes, labels, descriptions on it. But in the end of the day, it'll keep you from seeing who Jesus is. Verse five, because of their unbelief, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hand on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their unbelief. Man, when I get to heaven, I wanna hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I do, I do. I mean, I think it'd be cool if Jesus was amazed. I saw you grow up. I'm amazed you could even talk. You know, I'm like, I want Jesus to be amazed. Jesus was amazed, but this is not a good amazed. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. This is amazement in the wrong direction. Because of their skepticism, he couldn't do any miracles. Now, there's a lot of theological debate. Let me just put your heart at rest. I'm not gonna go there. I'm like, oh, good. I'm getting hungry. Okay. Verse five, because of their unbelief, he could not, he couldn't do any miracles, okay? It reads like their unbelief limited Jesus' power, okay? And that's a great debate for another time when your stomach's not rumbling, growling for lunch, okay? Now, I do believe that our faith plays a role because we have some very powerful verses like, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. I believe that our faith does play a role because that's clearly part of this conversation. But I wanna, in Greek, I wanna look at the original language again, all right? And I wanna go look at this word. I'm gonna try something real quick, see where all my Sooner fans are. Boomer! Yeah! Yeah. Look at y'all. I have found you in the Bible. Hashtag you are welcome. You're welcome. Try that again. Boomer! Represent proud, aren't they, Willie? <laughs> um, you're finally gonna see your, you're finally gonna see OU in the Bible. It's awesome. It's amazing. It, the original language says, He could there do no mighty works. He couldn't. The Greek word for couldn't was OU. <laughs> I really didn't need this part, but I just couldn't resist. OU shows up in the New Testament 1,400 plus times. And its most common translation is not. No. Boomer. No. It could be, it could be, it could be translated that because of their faith, he couldn't do a lot of miracles but it could also be translated as no. He didn't do many miracles there. Could be. And that's why there's a lot of debate about how this goes. And so there's multiple translations of how this would go. The point being their skepticism, just keeping it real, kept them from seeing Jesus and who he was. Skeptics, I love you. Be careful. You too, Sooner fans. No, I'm just kidding. All right. We'll wrap it up with this. Number four, there was an offended spirit. There was an offended spirit. And this one's the big one. 
This one's actually called, you don't have to get the original language, I'll show it to you in a second, but this one just, it says that they were deeply offended in verse three. Not just offended, but deeply offended. People who choose to live offended will miss the most powerful moments of life. They chose to live offended and they missed the Messiah standing right in front of them. So one more Greek word, the Greek word for offense or offended that is translated there is scandalizo, okay? And this is what it means. It means deliberately placing a hazard, deliberately putting something in front of you to cause you harm. It also can be translated a trap. They were trapped by their offense. Being offended will rob you of joy. It'll cloud your vision. It will steal your faith. It will close your mind. It makes your world really, really, really small because what I've discovered about people who just live constantly offended is it's all about me. Their favorite song is me, me, me. Living offended keeps people stuck in the past. They're stuck in the wounds of yesterday. They can't move forward because they're always offended about things in the past. And this, is, this is what I love. Everybody say, I love BK. If you're a guest, I'm BK. Like, we're not crazy about Burger King around here. There's not any of those anymore because I gotta say something really hard. Sometimes when we have a conflict of some sort, and we don't get what we want, we don't get the response we want, we play the hurt card. We don't play the offended card, that's too harsh. We play the hurt, well, I'm just hurt. Don't you care that I'm hurt? Because what we're doing is we're tapping into what we used to do when we were a three-year-old toddler. So I was a three-year-old toddler, I would say, mama, I'm hurt. And mama would stop what she's doing and she would run and she would fix the boo-boo. I'm just, we're just hurt. You ain't three and your mama ain't here. Amen. I'll buy you lunch. You just amen. Buy my own lunch. Listen, I, I can't find it. I looked, I read, I searched through commentaries. Like, this doesn't make sense. What in the world do they possibly have to be offended about? But offended people don't have to have anything to be offended because they are trapped by a spirit of offense. Nazareth is not a place of grace. It was full of spiritual arrogance. Who are you to teach me anything? It was full of a critical spirit. Let's do the math. They had skeptical attitudes. And they were trapped in a spirit of offense. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Listen, if Jesus showed up in our town, would he find this to be a place of grace? Man, I want that. I want that for this town. I want this for our church. I want this for your homes. I want that for your heart. That spiritual arrogance, that spirit of offense, that spirit of criticism, I want that just melt off of you. God is calling us to live bigger. God's calling us to a pace of grace. And what's interesting about this as you dig into all this is I, every day as I read this passage, these two words just popped off the page. This, the Bible is living and breathing. When you're reading the word of God, sometimes those words will just pop off at you. Just, 
Can't get past it. And their dialogue, the people of Nazareth, they started their conversation, he's just a carpenter. <laughs> no, no, no. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the great healer. He's the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. He's the compassion giver. He's the mercy distributor. Man, he is Jesus, and he is the name above every name. And if you see him as just a teacher, you see him as just a good person, if you see him as just Jesus, you're gonna miss what he wants to do in your life. He is your Messiah. He is your Savior. He is the name that's above every name. Can I get an amen? How do you see him today? How do you see him today? Do you know Savior Jesus? He's also a relator. He's also a relator. He, he wants, he desperately wants to be in relationship with you. Man, one of the things that grieves me is sometimes when, when parents are separated or estranged from adult children, that is one of the most grievous things as a pastor to watch and help heal and and. And God and Jesus, they're those, those parents that miss those kids. They want them to just come home. Want them to just repent. Let's just put all that behind us. Put the past behind us and, and let's just have a relationship from this day forward. Are you that estranged child today? Because he so much wants to be in relationship with you that he gave his life. He shed his blood. All of us are sinners. All of us have made mistakes. And, and those mistakes, that's what kicked us out of the relationship to begin with. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus said, I'll go. I'll shed my blood so that they can have a ticket to that relationship. I'll be the one that will pay the price so that they can be in relationship with their heavenly parent. Here's the gospel plain, pure and simple. That if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you'll believe in your heart that God supernaturally, miraculously raising from the dead, you will be saved. Here's what's interesting, because there's resurrections in the Bible, but they were always called back to life. Jesus didn't have to have any help, because he was God. And on the third day, when the price had been paid, he opened up his eyes, and the Spirit filled him, and he come boldly marching out of that tomb. And if you will embrace that Jesus was raised from the dead, meaning he was the Son of God, then you, not might, not maybe, not can, you will be saved. I wanna lead you in a simple prayer to help you confess and believe. It's not magic words, it's just the best way I know how to confess and believe. All across this room, nobody moving around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you today are not in right relationship with Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer with me because we're gonna confess and believe. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna ask you to walk the aisle, I'm not even gonna ask you to talk to anybody other than God himself, and we're gonna pray a very sincere prayer. Are you ready? If I'm talking to you in this moment right now, just pray this prayer right there under your breath. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I sure need you. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Begin to change me? Make me a new person? I don't want that life anymore. I'm sorry, Jesus. Would you save me? Make me a new person? Because today, I surrender my whole life to you.
Every head bowed, every eye closed, everyone be real still. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. We've already had people raise their hand today. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you slip up your hand? Anybody here today, just you prayed that prayer. Come on, slip it up real high so I can see. Come on, slip it up. All right, I see it. Anybody else? Come on. All right, I see it. Oh, Spirit of the living God, you see these hands, you see these hearts coming home today. God, thank you. Thank you, the Holy Spirit still calling us into relationship. Lord, thank you for people this morning who took that baby step of faith to say, Jesus, I'm coming home. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood so my sin could be forgiven. Father, for those this morning that raised their hands, God, I pray that they, this is not an emotional decision, but I pray they sense you. They sense your power. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. God, bring good Christian people and just encourage them and walk through this journey with them. Lord, I love being a part of a church. It's willing to do whatever it takes short of sin to see people give their life to Christ and come home. God, we worship you and we celebrate that today. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, come on, church, give God the biggest praise you got in your belly today. Amen, everybody. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.